It is day 50 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Welcome back, friends. If you're with us in real time, it is Monday, the beginning of a week. We get to start fresh today. Aren't you so grateful for that? What else are you grateful for today? We haven't done a gratitude check in a while. So let us know in the comments three things that you are grateful for, three things that are good in your life, because I always feel like that's a really wonderful way to start off our week, just to be thankful for stuff that is around us. Well, today we are continuing with God's holiness, what it means to be holy, and what the consequences are whenever people choose not to be. But before we begin, if you could please help us out by hitting that like button. If you are a part of the Heart Dive fam, and if you're new here, let us know where you're watching from. And please make sure to check out the show notes or the description box for any questions you might have, because lots of information is found there. Letting you know we are in the ESV by Crossway translation today. And if you had the question about whether or not my colors in my Bible mean anything, they do not. I just change colors as the thought changes so that I can quickly find the notes that coincide with that scripture. That's all. Nothing any more complicated than that. I don't have the brain power to add that to my head. Otherwise, let's go ahead and prepare our hearts. Let's pray before we jump into the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the beginning of a new week. Thank you for new beginnings in our life, for the new mercies that we have available to us today, to have a fresh relationship with you every single day. You give us new manna. And so I pray as we open up your logos, your Word, that you will bring the rhema, the revelation. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak speak to us in such a fresh way, that we will hear a word that we've never heard before, that we will read today and see new things. Our eyes will be opened up, the scales will fall off, that our ears will be opened, the wax will be cleared away so that we can hear your still small voice, that whisper that so desires to have that fellowship with us. Thank you, Lord, for even being willing to speak to us when we have been so stubborn in listening to what you have already spoken. But I pray today that we will take steps of obedience in whatever it is that you call us to do. I pray that we will take steps toward a more holy life, toward that purification so that we can always be right before you. We thank you, Jesus, that you have already shed your blood, paid the price, robed us with righteousness. So that is actually what makes us right before the Father. But we still so desire to be more like you and to honor you and come before you with that holiness and to be able to be your representative to the world. So I pray that you will take us one step closer to being just that. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Help us to forgive others. And I just pray that you will please keep us from the enemy, keep the enemy far from us, any plans that he has to steal, kill, or destroy any part of our lives. I pray that you will protect every person here, that you will meet every single need. Lord, you hear their cries. You know what is on their hearts today. So help us just to lay it all down so that we can have this beautiful, sacred, undistracted time with you. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wrote up here at the top of chapter 19, he is love. And the reason why I wrote that is because I just wanted to remind myself today as I read this, that God is love. He loves us. Everything he speaks, everything he does is out of love. So keep your eyes on that. Try to keep that as your focus, that this is being spoken out of love. Verse one, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. Well, let's start off with a bang here. Holiness. It is something that everyone longs for, no matter if they know it or not. As soon as we are born, 
We are seeking fulfillment or wholeness because even though holiness actually means to be set apart, it comes from the idea of wholeness or fulfillment. And as we grow older, the more holes we have in our spirit, the more unhappy we are. Whereas the more we fill in those holes with holiness, the happier we'll become. Whenever we understand that holiness is the very thing that will fill us up and complete us, God's commandments will no longer seem burdensome or tedious. We will not read these things and be like, oh my goodness. We will actually crave goodness and begin to see things through His eyes because He wants to bless His children. He wants us to be happy. And this is why He calls us to be holy. It is an irrefutable principle that with God that will lead to a life more fulfilled. So heart check, are you living a life that is holy or holy? meaning you got lots of holes in your spirit. Did that make sense? Okay, carry on. Verse three, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, which means to respect and obey them, and you shall keep my Sabbaths, for I am the Lord your God. So in other words, holiness begins at home. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. So this word idols literally means nothings. So do not turn to nothings because that's what idols are. And don't mold God to become whatever you want him to be. He is who he is. Verse five, when you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, which these peace offerings are actually free will offerings, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. So the fact that they're free will offerings, they were not brought out of obligation, but simply because people wanted to bless the Lord with thanksgiving and they wanted to share that time in fellowship with Him. And with God commanding for it to be eaten within two days tells me that God wants us to fill up on a fresh meal every single day rather than grazing on leftovers of his presence. And sometimes we can do that. You know, we'll fill up our tanks with just enough to get us to the next destination or the next day. I mean, you remember those college days when you had like only $5 in your wallet? And so you would put in that $5 just to get you home. But then we wonder why we're empty at the end of the day. We're grazing on breadcrumbs while binging on the junk food of the world. So heart check. Are you grazing on stale leftovers or is each day a fresh meal of fellowship with the Lord? Verse seven, if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. Verse nine, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. So he is speaking here, obviously, to those who are a little bit richer, who have fields that they are planting. So he is saying, I don't want you guys to reap the harvest all the way up to the edge because what God was doing was allowing for the sojourners to pass through and to be able to pick some food. And Ruth and Naomi actually got to take advantage of this whenever they went to Boaz. This is what they were doing, was gleaning from the fields. So God's heart is that the generosity for the poor was always a priority 
priority to him. Verse 11, you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So this word profane means to make common. So things like the Lord told me when the Lord didn't really tell you or using God's name in vain, not treating his name with that sacredness that we should. Verse 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. So this was important because daily pay was so necessary for these people to be able to get their daily provisions of food every single day. And so he is telling those who were employing their workers, you know, you cannot wait until you're in a better financial situation to pay your workers. You need to pay them on that day. Pay now. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. And while this is speaking of the physically deaf and blind, the Bible often likens these traits to the spiritual life as well. Like we were once blind, but we now see, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when we look at it that way and we read, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, that tells me that these are the very people that we should be seeking to heal the way that Jesus did. But we can sometimes be so closed up within our own boundaries and our holy huddles that we begin to look at the spiritually deaf and blind as if they have some sort of disease or are beneath us. Us somehow, and that we will curse them rather than love them. But if our eyes are truly set on Jesus, looking to become more like Him, then we won't be in a position to look down on others. So heart check, how do you treat the spiritually deaf and blind? Do you look at them with compassion as Jesus does, or do you utter curses and judgment? Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So no special treatment according to how rich or how poor some people are. And you shall not slander. You shall not gossip, which I know that in church circles, gossip is one of the things that for some reason runs rampant. And so when we look at what gossip or slandering does, it actually doesn't only just hurt the one person you're talking about. It hurts three people. It hurts that person, the subject, because it kills their reputation. It hurts the hearer and the way that they are now viewing that person. So their view of a person has been tainted. And it also hurts the teller because it is diminishing their character as they gossip. And I love this quote here. I don't know who said it, but it says, great minds talk about ideas. Good minds talk about events and small minds talk about people. And I was like, ooh, what do I talk about on a daily basis? Am I talking about ideas, events, or people? That could have been a good heart check right there, but we can check our own hearts anyway. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, meaning you deal with them directly. And of course, Jesus speaks about this on the Sermon on the Mount. Lest you incur sin because of him, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here is the first time seeing this command, I am the Lord. Now, whenever we are able to do this, this is one of two commands 
commands that will fulfill every single law. If we love the Lord our God and we love our neighbor as ourselves, we will be able to fulfill every law. So which one are we failing at? We're either failing at loving God or we're failing at loving people. Verse 19, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let their cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. And you shall wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of materials. So in other words, he is wanting to keep holiness and purity both in agriculture and in our domestic life as well. Now, I kind of glanced over some deeper spiritual meanings, but they just didn't stick in my heart because I felt like it was just a little too far off. But if you've got something to offer there, I would love to hear more. I didn't dig too deeply into that one, but if you see something in your study Bibles or in your commentaries that offer a little bit more of a spiritual look at this, let us know what that says. Verse 20, if a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave assigned to another man and not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. So typically slaves had very low social standing. And so if they were actually taken advantage of, they would not have the ability to cry out and people wouldn't believe them because of the fact that they had so few rights. But he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. Verse 23, and when you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden three years, it shall be forbidden to you. So you cannot take the fruit from a tree for the first three years. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, this would be considered the first fruits. All its fruits shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year is when you may eat of it to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord, your God. So if we look at this in a spiritual sense, this was three years that would allow for the tree to strengthen, to be built up. And sometimes God will do that with us. He will take the time to build up a person so that then they could go out and bear spiritual fruit. This is why the Bible will talk about not being too hasty in promoting people into the ministry, because whenever you do that, there wasn't that time for strengthening. And a lot of the times what will happen is those people who are promoted too quickly will end up falling under their own pride or weakness. But also for us personally, we don't want to be too hasty and looking for the fruit. Like take that time to allow yourself to strengthen, especially when you're in underground seasons, whenever your seed is underground and you can't see the light. I was just talking to my friend about this the other day. I said, that is the time where you really need to allow the water of the word to just nourish you and strengthen you. Because as soon as you do break forth and you break ground and you see the light, the growth is going to be so rapid. But if you don't have those roots that are down in the soil, that are down deep, as soon as that wind blows, you're just going to fall right over. So that is what this is speaking of, is being able to have that root system underneath you. Verse 26, you shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. So no astrology, no Ouija boards, no tarot cards, no going to psychics. You shall not round off the hair of your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. So these were things that were done in pagan cultures. And when the Israelites would take part in any of this, it would represent rebellion against God. 
Verse 29, do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. So by seeking mediums or necromancers, this would show a lack of faith in God in being able to deal with their future, or again, it would be rebellion. So at the very best, mediums and necromancers are basically just fake, or at the worst, they're actually consulting the occult or demonic beings. Verse 32, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. So while society is obsessed with youth, we got all kinds of youth creams. I bought a whole bunch of skincare the other day trying to keep my skin youthful as it can be. But God's system is so opposite. He's all about the wise. He's all about the older people, the ones who have gone before us, and we need to reverence them. And whenever we do, we show reverence for God as well. So are you doing that? Are you honoring those who are older than you? Verse 33, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And I just remembered we have a heart check here. God says to treat foreigners as if they are native to your land. And when we think of foreigners, our initial reaction is probably to think of either tourists or people who don't speak your language, or maybe even someone who looks a lot different than you. It is more natural by way of sin nature to treat them as if they are lesser, or we will say things like, go back to where you came from. And how about when there are new hires or we feel threatened by a newcomer in our environment or a stranger? Is there a tendency to kind of put up this defense like a guard dog? Because God says to love them as we love ourselves. We should be looking for opportunities to demonstrate the same love that he shows to us. So heart check, how do you view and treat foreigners, immigrants, newcomers, or anyone who is different than you? Verse 35, you shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. So he ends this section with a word about fairness in business practices. Chapter 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. So this is how serious it was to accuse people. If you were somebody who was accusing another person, you would be the ones to actually cast the stones. And if you were found to be bearing false witness or to be lying about that accusation, then you would then be held accountable and stoned to death as well. Verse three, I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Moloch to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to the man when he gives one of his children to Moloch and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Moloch. So you cannot be a witness to this and just turn a blind eye to it. 
If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, so again, that's spiritual adultery. The Bible has all of the answers we need, so we don't need to turn to mediums and necromancers. I will set my face against that person, rejecting him, and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, so meaning set yourself apart, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God." Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So this, again, the Hebrew word kadash, which means to set apart. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father and his mother. His blood is upon him. Now, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So this would be consensual. Now, it'd be a very rare occasion for this to happen because remember, whenever there are cases out there, there would have to be two to three witnesses. And typically it was just these two people. So there would be no other witnesses unless the husband and the wife end up catching them together. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. So remember, perversion is mixing or confusion, anything out of natural order of what God intended. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. So again, that's homosexuality. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal, and they shall surely be put to death their blood is upon them. So God takes sexual immorality so seriously, and it is because sexual immorality will shatter mutual commitments. It shatters marriages. It will destroy the sanctity of a nuclear family. It will twist spiritual and mental well-being, and it also spreads disease. So a call to sexual purity is, again, out of the love of God for our protection, for our preservation, to be able to save families families and to prevent perversion and ultimately societal decay. And going back to this burning with fire, whenever they would burn someone with fire, this was thought to keep them from the afterlife because a burial was thought to allow a person to go and cross over to the afterlife. But if they were not buried, then they thought that that was their way of keeping them from having that proper access to the afterlife. Verse 17, if a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother and sees her nakedness and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness and he shall bear his iniquity. If a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period and uncovers her nakedness, he has made naked her fountain and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or of your father's sister, for that is to make naked one's relative. They shall bear the iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin and they shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness and they shall be childless. Now, the only exception to this would be if a brother dies without children, then the next brother in line was to take that woman as his wife so that he can then bear children for that brother. 
to carry on the brother's name. Verse 22, you shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey." Now, to remind you what this actually means is that there is agricultural fertility in this land because there is going to be an abundance of wildflowers to allow for the honey, and the land is going to be so fertile that it will allow for grazing for the herds and the flocks, so that will produce an abundance of milk. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or or anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. And now we'll read about the holiness and the priests. So they are to live lives, of course, of purity and separation. And remember, keeping in mind that we are a royal priesthood. So even though we don't have these regulations upon us, we can look at these things and see how they can still be applied to our lives in practical ways. And the Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, no one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people. So by becoming unclean from the dead, this would not just mean carrying a dead person. This is actually even brushing up against a tomb or walking over a grave. And that would declare them unclean, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister who is near to him because she has no husband. For her, he make make himself unclean. Now, notice that the wife is not listed here, but it is thought that the wife is included in this. And so, priests basically were not allowed to take part in any mourning rites with other people aside from their close family members. And so for us spiritually, we can look at it as in not hanging around with those who are spiritually dead unless you are working to bring them into the kingdom. We know Jesus was a friend of sinners and he was able to do that because he was ministering to them. But some people aren't strong enough to be able to do that. And so just don't do it. Don't hang out with the spiritually dead. They shall not make bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. These things were actually Egyptian death cult markers. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. So because the priests have special privileges to be able to bring these offerings to God, they also have special responsibilities on top of what most people did. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband. For the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers that bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father. She shall be burned with fire. So their marriage would be symbolic of the special relationship that they have with God. 
The priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. So the high priest cannot mourn at all, not even for his own family. He shall not go into any dead bodies, nor make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. In other words, he would have to continue to minister even in the hard times. And he shall take a wife in her virginity. So he cannot just marry any old girl. He had to marry a virgin, a widow or a divorced woman or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute. These he shall not marry, but he shall take as his wife, a virgin of his own people. So it couldn't be a virgin from another culture. It had to be an Israelite that he may not profane his offspring among his people. For I am the Lord who sanctifies him. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God, for no one who has a blemish shall draw near. Now, before we list these things, this is speaking of permanent physical conditions. So this wouldn't be like a little rash that pops up and you're able to put some Neosporin on and it goes away. A man who is blind or lame or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has a dwarf, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight, or an itching disease, or scabs, or crushed testicles. Okay, let's stop and look at what all of these things look like for the spiritual life. So those who are blind, again, spiritual blindness, those who lack vision, because the Bible says that without vision, the people perish. They have to have the ability to be able to see the overarching vision of God. Those who might be lame are those who are unable to have a steady walk. They are stumbling all over the place from left to right, and they're not on the straight and narrow. Someone who had a mutilated face, we could look at this as the nose. So the inability to have discernment or to determine between what is clean and unclean. An injured hand would not be able to reach out to those in need. A hunchback, which this is the backbone, would speak of someone who doesn't have a solid backbone. Someone like Pilate, who was wavering back and forth whenever they brought Jesus to him. He did not have a backbone. When you look at a dwarf, this is someone who can no longer grow. They're not teachable anymore. They're not willing to grow beyond their own spirituality in the moment. This itching disease in some translations actually says eczema. So I was like disqualified. I can't do it. And then crushed testicles would be the inability to reproduce. So spiritually for us, if we are not bearing fruit, if we don't have the ability to be able to reproduce what we are doing, that would disqualify us from the ministry. So the Lord was speaking of physical qualities, but we are taking it a little bit deeper and looking at the spiritual implications of it. No man of the offspring of Aaron, the priest who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food offering. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God. So that means even though he cannot do the ministering part, he can still partake in the daily provisions that was allotted to the priests by offerings, both of the most holy and of the holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish that he may not profane my sanctuaries for I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. And he did this 
publicly. So in the end, God was not discriminating against those with disabilities. We got to make that clear. But the ones who were called into the priesthood had to be as close to the perfection of God as possible. Now, we know that the only one who was ever able to fulfill that was Jesus. I mean, we would all be rendered unqualified. And if we think otherwise, then we are like that dwarf. I mean, unwilling to grow because we think that we have somehow reached our capacity. So heart check. When you look at each one of these qualifications of the priesthood, which one do you need to work on? And let's take it a little bit deeper here. How is holiness viewed in society today? How do our laws reflect this? How do God's commands shape our values? Are these being upheld or is the rebellion against it? Can you see the love of God in each of these prohibitions? Do these commands by God challenge or affirm your idea of holiness? How do you view the call to sexual purity? And does it have a greater implication beyond yourself? How might society be different if these strict punishments were still in place? So Heavenly Father, we just ask you today to please help us to be holy because you are holy. Every restriction you put in place and every command you ever spoke was always for the good of your people. And that still stands today. So I pray that we can see each one of these as a command still on our lives as we see it through the filter of your heart and care for us. I pray that we will honor those who have gone before us, especially our parents, even those who may have estranged relationships today. I pray that they will, at the very least, be able to honor their parents for giving them life. May we never mold you into an ideal that serves our purposes or desires, but always revere you for who you are in your fullness. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we have allowed anything to take your place in our lives. I pray that we will always wake up with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving, always freely desiring to fellowship with you. You give us a fresh meal every single day, so I pray that we do not try to snack on stale leftovers, but partake in the freshness of your daily bread. And when we do this, we realize that the holes in our spirits will begin to be filled with your holiness, and nothing you ask of us will feel like a burden. We want to live that life of wholeness in you. I pray that we will have hearts of generosity, always looking for ways to open our fields to those in need. You have blessed us abundantly, so help us to see how we can freely give of who we are, of what we have, and of what we do. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor by the standards of the world. We all have something to offer. So please help us to see what that looks like. And forgive us for any times that we have ever profaned your name by treating it as common. I pray that we will treat your name with the same care that we treat your presence. Help us to be fair and just in all that we do, whether in daily dealings with friends or neighbors, or in our own workplaces or our businesses. I pray that you will help us to hold our tongue or to walk away where gossip begins to surface. And may we not be partakers or dealers of slander in any way, for that is not pleasing to you. I pray that if we have something against anyone, that we will deal directly with them and in a godly manner. And we recognize our place in the royal priesthood today. So I pray that you will help us to remain pure in every way. For those who may be struggling with sexual purity, give them strength, Lord, to refrain so that they will honor you with their sexuality. Help us to be an example to those around us, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, never making anyone stumble, nor ever treating the spiritual deaf with harshness. I pray that we will be a people who love the way you do, with hearts full of compassion and mercy. 
We love you and we trust you with our entire being. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I wanna be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm gonna end up after I die, but I don't wanna live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're gonna say a prayer and I'm gonna put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're gonna say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.